guys, welcome back to the Gospel of Luke. Here we are, lesson 47. Can you believe this? Matthew, Mark, Luke, 47 lessons straight. Some of you have been going with us since we've studied the Pentateuch, and some of you just jumped in. Literally, you've just jumped in with the Gospel of Luke. Honestly, it doesn't matter where you jumped in. Why? Because the Word of God is alive and active today. You don't have to wait, you know, in six months. You didn't have to jump in five months ago. God can speak to your heart today. And now you're going to say today's study and you're like, dear Lord, how is God going to speak to me about this? Because think about this. In Luke 3, we get to talk about the genealogy today. Yep. The lineage of Christ. So I'm basically going to open up Ancestry.com and say, here's Jesus's backdrop. I mean, that sounds kind of interesting, but it also sounds not so interesting. The beautiful part about what you're going to read today is that you're going to see Jesus's ultimate connection. It is like over and over again, some no-namers and then a lot of people that people know. Some no-namers and then some names that people know. And then ultimately it's going to end at the very, very end, which is what I love about Mindy's painting. Jesus is tied, you ready for this? All the way back to Adam. Jesus' lineage. Like if you're literally doing a report and you're beginning to see this, who is he tied to? You're going to be like, yeah, he's tied to to Adam. And that's where we're going to go today. And so in, in Luke 3... Verses 1 through 20, we're going to talk about the Messiah's herald, okay? And, and really what that just means is, is that, you know, John the Baptist is, what does he do? He always is paving the way. You know, he's constantly preparing the way. And, and it's really unfortunate. In verse 20, it says he locked up John in prison. Okay, that's the transition. Okay, John has just been, what, thrown into prison. Transition now into verse 21. We've talked about this. We've studied this. In verse 21, it says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. Okay, again, not going to get into a whole lot of details. I just want you to understand baptism is important. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What does it say in Matthew 28? Kevin, if you go there, Matthew 28, verse 19. This is what we've been instructed to do by Jesus himself. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So think about this. If Jesus was baptized and he says, we're supposed to go baptize people, what do you think we should do? Baptize people. But for some reason, we think church is all about making disciples, but we never talk about like, hey, have you baptized somebody? Like, it's always like, hey, I have my discipleship group. What if we had a baptism group? You get my point here. My point is, is that we just for some reason think that baptism is just it's separate for the ordained or the licensed, you know, or the certified All of us are supposed to go make disciples, baptizing them. And then what it says in verse 20, we're supposed to teach them everything that I've commanded you, teaching you, teaching them the words of Christ. And so if we're supposed to do and live as Christ is, and you understand that Christ was baptized, one, make sure you're baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is an outward expression of your inner faith. And you're saying, I'm in, Jesus. I am totally in. Remember Mary? Remember when she finally just said, okay, uh, she heard from the, the angel Gabriel, right? And then she says, I'm the Lord's servant. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Like, that's the point we've got to get to, you guys, that we're totally in. And if it means baptizing other people, even though you've never done it, please start baptizing people. Now, Jesus himself, Kevin, if you'll go back, says he was baptized. And as he was praying, heaven opened. Cool picture. Holy Spirit descends, right? In verse 22. Descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove and a voice came from heaven. Now, we've been talking about Jesus. Our one word for the gospel of Luke is that he is the son of man. Now, here in Luke 3.22, Jesus is clearly describing him as my son. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. This is the backdrop as it transfers over into verse 
Look at this in verse 23. This is a, this is a really cool picture. As he began his ministry. So how did he begin his ministry? Well, he was baptized. He was baptized clearly, in my, my wording, anointed from heaven. <laughs> the Holy Spirit descended upon him like the Holy Spirit overshadowed Matt Mary in order to have a baby, right? Jesus was about 30 years old and he was thought to be, now, this is kind of crazy, this whole 30. 30 years old is, is kind of the age that many people begin the ministry. Not always, okay? You can start at 15, you can start at 20, you can start at, you know, 40, you can start at 60. But, but think about this, Kevin. Can you go to Genesis 41, 46? Jesus was about four, 30 years old when the ministry started. Now look at Joseph. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So think about this, okay? Uh, Joseph, at this point, had he done other work before this? Absolutely. Had Jesus clearly done other work before the ministry started? Absolutely. But there's a turning point that God says, yes. It's a cool picture to me. Just another one. Kevin, can you go to 2 Samuel 5, verse 4? David was 30 years old when he began his reign as king. And he reigned 40 years. So Jesus, around 30, I love the around, right? Uh, obviously, Joseph. And then you have David. Now, here's another one. Go to Ezekiel 1, 1. Okay. A little bit more of a different. So you have a king, uh, you know, walking into this as David, Joseph as a servant, and then Ezekiel 1, 1. In the 30th year, in the fourth month on the fifth day of the month, while I was among the exiles by the Chebar Canal, the heavens opened and I saw the visions of God. Ezekiel, as a prophet, began to walk into his anointing. In the 30th year, okay, it's the fourth month on the fifth day, so it wasn't exactly on the exact same day. You get the point. He began to see things and began to walk out the visions of God. Now, kind of a fun one. Let's go back to the old days, you guys. Let's go back to, oh, the remember when I loved studying the Pentateuch days? <laughs> Can you go to Numbers 4, verse 3, please? Men at the age of 30, until they were 50 years old, began to do the work at the tent of meeting. So priests began doing their ministry. So I think, honestly, this one is the most important one. You know, can I say he, this trumps David or this trumps, you know, Joseph or Ezekiel? No. But remember, if Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, he's sitting at the feet of teachers, at the feet of rabbis, and then he begins to do his ministry over and over in the Gospel of Luke, over and over the Gospel of the Gospels, they call him rabbi, don't they? They call him teacher. They call him, and they have this mentality of, no, not priest, but he's beginning his priesthood ministry. And so here you have priests. So that's just a kind of a cool picture. So one of the things to understand, okay, 30 years old, we also know Joseph was, David, right? Ezekiel, not Elliot, priests, and then obviously Jesus, Okay. Just kind of a cool picture. And prior to this, remember, he had just been baptized. He had just been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that is the beginning of his ministry. Okay? Why this is important is because then we get into the genealogy. And it says, he was thought to be the son of Joseph. We know, okay, very clearly, Joseph is, this is, this is the Joseph we're talking about, Joseph and Mary, right? How, how can he be the son of Joseph? It wasn't revealed to anybody but Joseph and Mary who he really was. So Luke puts this is the perception of the people. 
This is what they would have thought, right? But in that day, he would have been under the umbrella of a household, right? So even though he wasn't still technically, yes. Okay, good. Okay, so here you have Joseph. Then you have son of Hali. Hali, okay? Kind of an interesting thought. Uh, Hali, that would be Mary's father. That's where it gets interesting. Mary's father, okay, I'm just going to tell you now, I don't have all this thing figured out. I have read so many different commentaries, and I promise you, everyone is different. It drives me crazy. Like, oh yeah, when we're studying the Gospel of Luke, it's more of the Mary angle. And when we're studying the Gospel of Matthew, it's more of the the Joseph angle. And you're like, dear Lord, what is this? And so I'm just sounding this out. So Hali would have been Mary's father who then would have adopted Joseph. Now, I want to just say this, okay? The adoption part would have been important, okay? Even, Even if nobody knew or even if anybody did know, Joseph would have legally been the father. He would have been legally the father of Jesus. Whether he was the paternal father of Jesus, that's another story. But legally, he would have taken on Jesus as his son. Okay, that's that's an important key phrase. Legal father of Jesus. Okay, make sense? Okay, we got a little bit of this kind of worked out here. Now, here's where it starts to get really exciting. More importantly, confusing. Okay, just just saying this, all right? Well, hang on, I want to I want to go somewhere here because in Matthew 1:16, okay, Kevin, can you go there? Matthew 1:16. This is this is where it gets interesting. Okay, Matthew 1:16. Remember, there's the genealogy, right? We have the genealogy of who's who. Okay? In Matthew 1:16, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary. So, who's Joseph's father? Jacob. Now go to Luke 3. Kevin, verse 23. Who would be the father of Joseph here? Chali. This is where you have to have the understanding of the legal status of who adopts who. <sighs> okay, just so you have a backdrop. I'm going to read something here, okay? And it's going to sound confusing. I'm not trying to make it confusing. I'm just trying to emphasize this stuff is out there. Okay, remember the commentaries? Again, the process, okay? Does it matter who Jesus is in the sense of like who's who? Uh, we know that he is the Messiah. We know that he's the Emmanuel. We know that then, so is who's the father of Mary? Who's the father of Joseph? It gets a little confusing. Does it change who Christ is? No. Okay, I think that's, that's essential for all of us to know, okay? You can trace Joseph's line, okay, back to David through Luke. You can throw, you can trace through Joseph's father back to Hali and David's son, Nathan. Okay. On the Luke side, you're going to see the Nathan side. On the Matthew side, you're going to see David's son, Solomon. And so in these genealogies, some list one son, some list another son, some list one father, some list another father. Okay. Here's where I want to go with this whole legal thing about whose dad is who. Okay. A custom of a Leverite marriage. Okay. In ancient Near East, it permitted the widow of a childless man to marry his unmarried brother. So if there's a widow of family stature, they are allowed to marry the, uh, the unmarried brother. It was common to consider the child of a second marriage as a legal son of a deceased man. Possibly this is how this makes sense for having listed two fathers. 
It doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. Does that make sense? Like in the sense of there could have been somewhere in there, somebody died and then they legally adopted that child, even though he's not the real father. Everybody with me? <laughs> Woo. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. So we got a list. We got, we keep getting this list. In Luke 3, it says this. Uh, after the son of Heli, you have the son of Mattat, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Jani, son of Joseph. Okay? From Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, from verses 24 through 27, just so you know, there are 17 unknown names that we know nothing about in the genealogy of Christ. None. Who's that guy? I don't know. Where did he come from? I don't know. 17 of them that we do not know. Okay, keep going to verse 25. Son of Matthias, son of Amos. Now, maybe, maybe, here you have the prophetic terminology here. Son of Nahum. Again, maybe the prophetic from Nahum 1.1. Son of Eli, son of Nagai, found in 1 Chronicles. Son of Maeth, son of Matthias. Again, same name. Whoa, wait a minute. Verse 25 and then verse 26. Son of Simeon, son of Josek, son of Jodah. Okay, again, couple names we know, couple names we don't. Verse 27, son of Jonian, son of Resa, son of Zerubbabel. Praise the Lord. We know a name. Son of Zerubbabel, right? Who's the head of the tribe of Judah. And at the return from Babylonian captivity, he was under the Cyrus the Great and Ezra 2.2. 2. So again, you can link some of these names and some you're like, man, I have no idea who these people are. And when you're doing your genealogy and you're looking for somebody famous, you're like, oh yeah, that one. Scripture continues on. Son of Shetil, Shealtiel. Same, same issue here. Okay. This guy is listed as having two dads again. Same thing. Maybe the ancient Near Eastern, one legal, one real father. One died, one then adopted. Okay. There's a thought behind that. Just want to make sure this is the other name here of possibly having two dads. Son of Ir, son of Josh, Josh. Kevin, I should have you read these names. Remember how we used to do that? That was the good old days. Man, that was fun. All right, so here you have in verse 29, son of Joshua, son of Eleazar, son of Jorim, son of Methat, son of Levi, son of Simeon. Maybe now we're starting to get into the 12 tribes, okay? Son of Judah. Why is that one important, guys? Because the king, the, later on, the, the king was, that was the line from Jacob. Yeah, let's go to there. Can we just go to Genesis 49.10? Okay, so in this lineage, some of these things I don't want us to miss, you guys, the son of Judah. So in, in Genesis 49, 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah. So if you're going through the list and you're like, why is this one important? Oh, yeah, the scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it's, it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. So you can expect the tribe of Judah that it will never depart. That it's, this is the, the, the king of David lineage. Like it's just going to keep going. How, how do we know this? Well, go to Revelation 5, 5. Watch the Old Testament, how it points to the New Testament. Okay. Revelation 5, 5 with this language of Judah. Okay. And that's just pulling out one name. Then one of the elders said to him, stop crying. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Do you see this? It's tying into Judah. It's tying into David has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Look, I know we're talking about the lineage, but remember, around 30 years old, Jesus begins his ministry. And how does he begin his ministry? Because it comes from all of these great people. All of these people led to the point to Jesus getting to this stage. And Jesus is going to fulfill this verse right here. Uh, if we can, verse 31, 
again, son of Milia, son of Melina, Matthias, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon. Hey, I think we know some of those names. Son of David. Again, do we really need to state the obvious? Absolutely. This is the lineage of David. 2 Samuel 7, verse 13. 2 Samuel 7, verse 13. Again, this is the lineage that we're talking about. You will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16 says what? Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. So when it says, oh, the lineage comes through David, I think this is essential. Absolutely essential. And then, obviously, you have the dad. I mean, this is just crazy to me. Jesse, then the grandfather, Obed. I mean, this language, it just all ties together. And really what I could do with the genealogy right now, I'm not going to. Uh, one, because I've already done it with Judah and don't need to do it again. <laughs> uh, but every one of these guys has an importance in the Scripture. Jesse, the role that he plays. Obed, the role that he plays. Boaz, a main male figure in the book of Ruth. I mean, this is essential to who, who Christ is. Scripture says in verse 33, Son of Amonadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah. Uh, obviously, we know that uh, Jacob, right, had how many sons? Twelve. And one of those sons was chosen to have the lineage come through and it was Christ. And here's, remember the crazy story about this is, is that who's, who's Judah's mom? Leah. One of the most unlikely of the likelies. Remember, he didn't even like uh, Isaac. No, no, Jacob. Jacob didn't even like Leah. I'd rather have Rachel. And yet through the one that he doesn't like, then comes through the lineage, which then makes you think back to Mary. Uh, the angel shows up to Mary in what town? The town that nobody likes? Nazareth? It's just kind of like the constant theme. Even though these are great men and women that God uses, they're always still messing up at times. And that's who God wants to use. Those who recognize we need God. Because with man, it's actually impossible. With God, anything is possible. That's the beauty of the lineage. He says, I can use you. I can use any of these. Like I know he wouldn't say knuckleheads. But the reality is, is that you guys, emotionally, they're probably a mess one day. Physically, they probably didn't have all together. They probably had issues. And, and you just kind of think, but that's who God can use in order to point people to the Messiah. It says in verse 34, look, through Christ, the lineage, right? It goes through the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So do you realize that Jesus Christ is connected to Abraham? How awesome is that? What's interesting, though, is usually it sometimes just stops there, doesn't it? But for some reason, the writer continues on and he, he keeps extending it. And it almost catches you off guard because then he goes to the father, Terah, the son of Nahor. And then it continues on in verse 35. The son of Sarug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah. And he keeps going, verse 36, the son of Canaan. And he just doesn't stop. He, he actually just keeps going. And you're like, you could have stopped with Abraham. You could have stopped with David. But Luke is going somewhere with this. The son of Canaan, the son of Arphax. Uh, I feel like uh, that's like either Cologne or something. Arphax? Arphax? Anybody know? Son of Shem. Hello, Shem. Isn't that interesting? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And he lists Shem. Son of Noah. So now Jesus is connected to, to Noah. Son of Lamech. It continues on. Verse 37. Son of Methuselah. Son of 
Uh, that's just fun to say. Kevin, can you say that? You want to say that? Enoch? No, the other one. Methuselah? Yeah, that was good, Kevin. Enoch. Kevin's like, oh, yeah, I'll say Jared. Sure. Mahalaliel, son of Canaan, verse 38, keeps going because Luke is going somewhere. Remember, I really believe always a doctor will always have a bigger picture. He has to have a bigger picture. What's wrong with his arm? What's wrong with his leg? I need to know the bigger. I know the body. And that's exactly what Luke is doing. The son of Enos, the son of Seth. And look what he says. The son of Adam. Jesus is tied to the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, when you look at this, first of all, when you see the phrase son of God, no genealogy ends with this. You're kind of like, whoa, wait, why did we just go there? Why did he just tie? Why did he just tie this? Can you go to Acts 17, verse 28? Let's just see if, I mean, as one commentator, Fritz Meyer says, the ending is truly one of a kind. And I love this. Why? For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. You literally see the, the, the lineage showing uh, the offspring. We are also his, his offspring. So now, what do you do with this tie-in to Adam? Like, how do you make it work? Why do you make it work? Well, I want to go to a couple verses here. One is, will you go to Romans 5, verse 12, Kevin? It's a little bit longer, but I want to unpack this because I think this is essential to understanding the Son of Man. I think this is essential to understanding. Like, here's where I'm going with all this, okay? Think about this. All other religions, okay, like their gods are, are distant. Their gods are somewhere else. Their gods you can't touch. Their gods you can't feel, right? What you want to see in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke is that a God who can actually connect with us, and His name is Jesus. He's the Son of Man who came to connect with you and me. In Romans 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that would be who? Adam. Through Adam's sin of biting the apple along with Eve. I don't know why Eve doesn't get lumped in there, right? And death through sin. So sin entered through Adam and so did death. In this way, death spread to all men. Why? Because everybody sinned. Verse 13. So through Adam, okay, this is interesting. Remember this. Through Adam, it led to sin and death. And Scripture says, for all. And in fact, just as Paul says, I want to reiterate something here. Sin was in the world before the law. So before we even talked about, you know, the law component, uh, it was already here. Sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. So law is essential to understanding sin. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses... And even over those who do not did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He's a prototype of the coming one. Okay, this all just kind of flows through. Verse 15, though. But the gift is not like the trespass. Scripture says this, For if by the one man's trespass the many died, okay, right, through Adam, through the sin, through the trespassing, through the transgressions, many died, how many more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ. So now, hence, enter in the answer. His name is Jesus, verse 16. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, okay? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not a gift that we receive from somebody. That's not really great. Oh, I got sin, I got death. No, the gift is not like the one man's sin because from one sin came the judgment, okay? So I think you even have to add this then. Through Adam, all of a sudden, people receive judgment, resulting in condemnation. Okay, so what, is it, what does it lead to? So think about this. Through the lineage of Adam, you receive condemnation. 
But from many transpress, trans, tra, trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Keep going, Kevin. Here we go. Since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that man. Okay, I think we've made that pretty clear. Through Adam, death comes. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace? So what does is, what is Jesus offer? An overflow of grace and the gift of what? Righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So how crazy is this? Adam comes and he offered sin, death, judgment to all, right? Jesus comes, offers an overflow of grace, righteousness that can reign in life, right? And it comes through, through Christ. Now, I want to go to one more passage, and I think Paul does an incredible job to, to tie all of this together. Now, Kevin, if you would, we go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. For since death came through a man, okay, again, through the one bite, okay, it comes through Adam that many has painted here. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. So I think we can say the resurrection of life comes through one man. And I love this, that it says a man. That's important, you guys. The lineage ties Jesus together as a man. Keep going to verse 22. Verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die. Okay, I'm pretty sure we've already declared that. In Christ, all will be made alive. Kevin, then, can you go to verse 45 for me? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, so why is that important to see the lineage? Because Jesus is called the last Adam. And what does he do? He begins to, he became a life-giving spirit. I think this is really crazy to me because I didn't, when I started reading through the genealogy here of Luke 3, you know, you can kind of just read through these things. But when you begin to understand 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22 and verse 45, and then you begin to understand Romans 15, 12 through 17, you want to know what they're really doing? They're tying in Luke Three, Kevin, if you would, can you go to the beginning of that? You're tying in Luke 3, uh, I mean, really verse 23, all the way through verse 38. I don't know if I ever would have honestly looked at the genealogy and said, oh yeah, that's important. But now all of a sudden, 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 15, they actually make sense. The first and the last. And that's exactly what you see with the genealogy in the Gospel of Luke. Now you can say, God, that's a long way to get to this for the last five minutes. It is. But sometimes I think we don't slow down enough, as I was a college kid, a senior year at Taylor, to begin to understand what's the bigger picture here? What is he trying to say to me? And right now, honestly, I'm just going to close it out with this. I actually believe you need to understand Jesus is coming to give life, not death. Jesus is coming to what? Give you righteousness and grace. He's not coming to judge and bring condemnation. He's not coming to bring death. He's coming to make you alive in who He is. He's giving a life-giving message that can radically change your life. Don't stay in the posture of a bitten apple. No, look, it's restored. Christ wants to restore who you are. And all He wants to say is, please just, I love what Minnie has painted here, just come to the table. 
Don't stay in this posture of, oh no, I've bitten the apple. Jesus said, that's fine. Let me help you fix what you've done. Jesus wants to restore. He wants to bring you back to life in Christ. The genealogy of Christ, one that we probably don't read through a whole lot, but honestly, when you slow down, everything in the scriptures points to the Messiah. Adam points to the Messiah. All right, thanks guys. Gospel Lesson 47. We'll talk to you tomorrow.